Hey friends, this is Matt. This is Jeannie. Mutual Victory. Mutual Victory Pod. Because we're cool. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, we've reached a milestone. We have? Yeah, in our Facebook memories. They were pictures of the history museum that we went to go see. The Living History Museum and the Christmas oh, yeah. thing. When we got home from that, uh-huh. the microphone arms had been delivered. How do you remember that? I remember coming home that day and then being excited about the arms. Okay. All right. So it's like, and we always said, we should do this for at least a year to make it worth the money we spent Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. our spending. So what are you saying at this point? We can... No, I'm just saying it's like a good... Well, I mean, not to, (laughs) not to, you know, you know, too early, but like, you know, reevaluate. Like, hey, how's it going? Checking in and whatnot. Checking in. It's usually a New Year thing. So we do that later. Yeah. 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 Because now we are in the throes. Of the most wonderful time of the year. It sure is. (laughs) (laughs) I have been feeling less stress as the years go on. About Christmas. Okay. The... I'm sorry, my brain stopped working for a second. Yeah, I see that. You were stressed about well, Christmas? Sometimes, yeah. When? When, like, the year before, not not the year before, but one year, I am buying stuff for, like, parents and family, mm-hmm. and then the next year, it's like, oh, there's three children now, and a bigger Christmas thing is happening. So, like, mm-hmm. yeah, there are a couple of years where, like, oh, yeah, crap, this is a bigger thing than I really remember it being sometime. Really? But I mean, yeah. You never seemed stressed out, so you hit it. Really? Well. Yeah. Wow. Hiding those emotions. <laughs> if I do anything well. Catholic school would be so proud. Nah. <laughs> no, nah, they probably would. Um, yeah, you never gave any kind of it was actually really comforting because oh, Wow. I don't really get stressed out about Christmas. Yeah, and also in thinking about it, like as years gone on, it's like, yeah, we made it work and happen and it was wonderful. And why am I super stressed about it? No reason to. No. It'll all work out. No. It's nothing's life or death. It's just a Christmas. <laughs> right. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. And there's baby Luna now, which is like permission to like dive back into the whimsy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it all works. And now we get to do a whole different side of whimsy. And I think that there's something chemically that happens when you become a grandmother. Because uh, I was at the mall today. And there's a pottery barn at the mall. Pottery barn? (laughs) What is that from? Friends. Oh. Um, I really, really wanted to get gnome napkin rings oh my god really and a table runner oh i didn't i didn't get them because i was like this is really silly yeah but it's like some of the more out there decor which Mm. i never would have in my youth right but now the now i'm like why don't i have the nana separate plates for every holiday nana hormones or what goes on it's so weird I'm like maybe it's a very like a variant of nesting, yeah. Where it's like, yeah, maybe it's just another level of preparing the home for family slash baby. Where it's yeah. not quite your own baby, so 
That's why it's like a different level. I don't know. This is so a theory. I get to go for like napkin rings instead of. Yeah, it's way less sexy. Binkies. Yeah. Covering the light switches. <laughs> is oh yeah. Well, I mean, we <laughs> still have to do that. Yeah, a little bit. <clears throat> yeah. So I just I'm feeling pretty extra about the holiday decorations this year. I like it. I don't. I don't mind. Okay. You don't have to feel bad about explaining being extra. When like the the first opportunity we had to have a tree over eight feet, yeah, I I ran with it and it made it like fourteen feet. So like you don't have to explain anything to me, right? Yeah, yeah. So okay, I'm on board. Yeah, and you never you've never expressed any kind of like stress around the holidays, which which really has really been awesome. Actually, the first year that like you lived with us during the holidays, yeah. You were like, Daddy Warbucks about Christmas. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> you were like, I'll just take care of it. Just put it all in my Amazon cart. I was like, what is happening? You are a big spender, Mr. Social Man, Studies teacher. That's, that is not the vibe now. <laughs> now I get an email. I'm like, who put this in the cart? What is this? Yeah, it's a different vibe. Was, but uh, whatever, you know. But it was our, it was our young in love hormones going on. <laughs> yeah, sure. Dust off the credit card. You're like, baby, I got this. I got I'm this. gonna buy all the presents. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if you know what you just said, but okay. Didn't happen next year. No, it didn't. No, 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 no. But it happened that first year, and that was really fun for it me. It was fun. That's a, that's the point. Like even the pictures come up in Facebook memories, or I think about it or something, and the memory is always like, ah, oh, that was a good time. Oh, that was fun. Or like, I remember I got this. Usually about a a book sometimes mm-hmm. and it's never oh man i shouldn't have done that or we shouldn't have done this so it's not the first thought that comes up when i'm reminded of all these past holidays so yeah. i guess that's a good thing yeah 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 word but that's not what we're here to talk about it's i mean not, we're here to talk about christmas right but this is like directly from last episode where you had a brilliant idea I did. Or like, yeah, well, I mean, the whole idea of this podcast where you kind of like looked at the movies mm. and, you know, discovered that many of the themes slash protagonists slash issues. Yep. Well, why am I talking? This is your theory. Well, I was wondering if, how you were going to present my theory. Uh, like about, we're co-authoring a paper. About middle-aged men breaking down uh, around Christmas time-ish. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. We're going to call it the midlife Christmas crisis. Midlife Christmas crisis. It's uh, good. Male, typically white protagonist. Typically male, right. Uh, having a Christmas crisis yeah. slash midlife crisis yeah. that fully collide right. with one another. And then there's redemption. There's a yes. Christmas redemption. Right. So what is there a question? What was the question or thought or idea that sparked this like what are we actually examining like why men why middle life why christmas like what's what's the issue kind of what's the deeper issue i don't know what the deeper issue is it was just an observation i had okay. and then you were like where do you think this comes from so you brought up the deeper issue and i was like honestly i'm going to blame dickens really yeah yeah because i think it follows like an Ebenezer Scrooge type of uh, 
scenario, but Scrooge was like, what happens if you don't pull it together at middle age? And yeah. like you make it to being this old crotchety, you know, grumpy, miserable human. And then the Christmas ghosts have to come. Mm. So, you know, and in a lot of Christmas movies, there's some kind of like magic spirit uh, person type thing that shows up. Yeah, that's or- a- going to use the word trope and not in a bad way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's the trope. So- before we kind of dive into this, we mm-hmm. should. I have a list of movies that we are either going to reference or that like hits these themes and ideas. Yes. It's like not limited to. So uh, now I have this list. I think it's we have the same list. So it is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, mm-hmm. A Christmas Story Christmas, Christmas Story Christmas, The Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> that ties in. I don't, we're not really going to talk about it, but a lot of this. Come is uh, similar. It's a Wonderful Life, mm-hmm. the Santa Claus, the Santa Claus, and Family Man, Family Man, Family Man. So, and I guess also we've talked about a Christmas Carol. So, like variations, either right, whatever the story mm-hmm. or the various adaptations. And we're sh- I'm sh- totally positive this is not a comprehensive list. No. So, no, this is just anybody like- listening that's like, oh, I can see this pattern in this Christmas right. movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would honestly even say it's part of Die Hard, but you wanted to push back on that because you're not going to admit that John McClane was in crisis, even um, though he was. He was in a marriage crisis. No, he was trying I will, to save his marriage. I will admit he was in crisis. Yep. So that gets put on the list. Too. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I was not. Die Hard is like its own discussion topic. Okay. Like Die Hard ties into the Christmas movie, Middle Age Man Crisis. But it also deals with the sacred masculine. Die Hard and the sacred masculine. Yep. yep, yep. Which, that'll be like the second part of this. Yep. So, why is it... It's easy, I think, we're like, why is it men? <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> right. Usually, we could be cynical uh-huh. and say things like, well, if we're looking at a film or a movie, mm-hmm. typically, the male is going to be the lead in most of the cases. So, that's why. But I think there's something more underlying to that as... What is it about the male situation psyche mm-hmm. that lends itself to having a believable story around a midlife crisis, particularly around Christmas? Right. It's like the cultural narrative, too, around like, you know, masculinity not being very heart centered or sentimental. And it's a pretty heart centered sentimental holiday if you're going to remove all of like the capitalism from it yeah and i like that's what it comes like a christmas carol <laughs> like a lot of these don't have the main character as like fucking evil right they're not evil <laughs> i don't think actually any of these on this list no no where the main character uh the closest i would come to is the santa claus where he needs to go through some redemption of character i mean jack in family man is kind of a dick. Yeah, but he's not evil though. Like at the beginning of that movie, he is set up in his life. He's single, he's wealthy, he works all the time. He's, he's not He's a womanizer. He is, is he? narcissistic. Yes. Yes. All of those things. I think those are all lightly implied. I, I think, think we're going to watch this movie again. Oh, absolutely. It's like on our <laughs> yearly rotation. Like I would say he's not he's... He is on par with whatever the dad's name was in the Santa Claus. 
You just no didn't like. Way. Yes, you no just way. don't like Tim Allen, and you like Nick Cage, so you're you're seeing no them through lenses would, that are I, different. I disagree mm-hmm. because Tim Allen in that movie was like part of his character, like that needs redeeming. Is he is constantly a dick to the dude his ex wife is dating to his face, her face, and to their son. Like he is an outright kind of a jerk about that. Um, he doesn't want to really, I mean, it's clear that like work is a priority. Family is number two, mm-hmm. which is also a theme you would say in. It is a theme. All of them, but it's a wonderful life as well. But George Bailey is like way more likable. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. We're going to have to rewatch this because I think Nicolas Cage is more, it's more like what does he have in his life? Like work, money, status, power. It's like, well, that's all nice, but is it fulfilling as the glimpse he gets when he actually is with his No, we're gonna when we rewatch it, I think you'll pick up on some of the things that he like says and the ways that he treats people. And okay. he's very classist uh, and well, yeah. yeah. It's rough. It's rough. I don't think it's as bad anyway. It is. All right. It's just different. It's it's a different kind of bad and okay. it's it's definitely equally bad. Okay. And it's easy to be like it's in a cage. Who doesn't like Nick Cage? And Tim Allen, on the other hand, is a dingleberry. Yeah, so, he is a dingleberry. You know, <laughs> it's like, bleh. um, yeah. It's interesting that there tends to be the theme too of not appropriate work life balance mm. and making money, career, ladder climbing, being like top priority or like some kind of status or. Like, even when you think about National Lampoons, Mm. right? It's like Christmas bonus, Christmas bonus, Christmas bonus. Right. But at least, like, what's he wanted to do with that? Right. It's, it's of course, for, like... He, like, genuinely wants to spend it on his family. He does. Well, and himself. Like, he also wants a pool. He's Mm. not daydreaming about, like, the children fighting over pool noodles. He's daydreaming about supermodels jumping in his pool in bathing suits. Like, okay. You make it sound like that that scene was only... It was it was like the family was there mm-hmm. and like yes of course the that as well. Who is that supermodel? Oh, I have no is idea. It Evangelista lady? What? <laughs> no idea what you're saying. Okay. Man, you are just you are <laughs> determined to find the shittiness in anyone. I am just saying that these characters are like kind of textbook examples. Of the opposite of the sacred masculine. And then they have mm, right, this okay. Christmas thing that happens or there's like this, you know, kind of like come to Jesus moment mm. of, oh, you know, like they didn't, they don't get visited by three Christmas ghosts, but they might as well in a way. Right. There's some revelation that they're either they see what they're like is would have been like with something mm-hmm. or what the world would have been like without them. Right. Which is like the George Bailey. I don't remember Nicholas Cage's character. Let's right. call him Nick Cage. Like Nick Cage gets the glimpse of like, Jack. it is Jack. You're yeah, right. It's Jack. What's his life like with having uh, gone to the airport or gone to Paris and been with Taylioni and George Bailey, who's like, I wish I wasn't born. And then was it Clarence? Oh God. I don't remember. I think the angel's name was Clarence. Anyway, yeah. 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 And I mean, I would say that on this list, like, there, 
it's not that I'm trying to present any of these characters as being like the bad guy or evil. Like that's how we started this part of the conversation <laughs> is it's just like they have these traits about them that are like, yeah. meh, well, you know, I mean, like, mwah, mwah. let's pull it together, buddy. Well, yeah. Anything has a double edged, I won't say sword. Cause that's usually a bad thing. It's like a two pronged assault. We're like, right. Yeah. They need to have flaws for the film. Cause if like they're perfect, what are we doing? Yeah. And because people are flawed and if you want to make them realistic and like give them, you want to root for them. You want them to overcome their, right. their their own kind of mild shittiness, right? Right. And I think that we can put their their mild shittiness <laughs> into no, the, yeah. No, I say still mild shittiness because no one on this list is evil. Yeah, yeah. We can put it into the category like many times of this kind of uh, slippery slope of expectations mm. and expectations not being met. In some way, or having high expectations for themselves, or having, you know, expectations that are, you know, just, yeah, they're just not met by their family, their job, culture, society, whatever, and they're chasing something. Like, Mm. there's this big chase, which ultimately is the middle age, like, you've decided at some point in your life that this is how your life is going to be, and if it doesn't fall into that or you don't feel like you've achieved enough by a particular point so much suffering comes into human life because of that dashed expectation mm. is that the yeah. word expectation dashed, dashed. Uh, sounds weird i don't know oh uh, it works okay yeah so i mean i think that that's the the other aspect of this character journey this hero journey this christmas midlife crisis <laughs> christmas crisis uh hero's journey trope and synopsis is like there is a level of expectation i think about clark yeah. because clark isn't having the like um you know what did i do with my life kind of a crisis right. or i'm not worthy kind of a crisis he worries about disappointing people yeah it's a very home-centered and right. not like things are falling apart, but you're right. He wants to maybe be able to provide happiness, joy, memories, things yeah. like that too. Is it? Do you think the age of the kids is significant? Because they're both definitely teenagers. Do you think like it's like the magic is kind of gone? So he's trying to like recreate that or grasp to it, grasped onto it, as opposed to like the you know the Nick Cage and George Bailey's kids are quite young, and so like. It's not about like how can I make magic for my family. It's a different like level of crisis. I don't know. No, I think that it is about nostalgia, and it's the same thing is true for the character in A Christmas Story Christmas. Like those two mm, characters right. yeah. are battling against he and nostalgia. Clark are very similar in this, in their yes. motivation in the, what they they are very if not the same and what their whole motivation is. Through the yeah. movie, what they want, right. Yeah, because it's like, you know, they have this memory, a child's memory mm. of what Christmas is. Yeah. You know, and like, uh, in, I mean, spoiler alert, if you didn't watch A Christmas Story Christmas. Oh, shame on you. It's so good. <laughs> um, There's that scene or that line where, you know, he's like, my dad made this look so easy. Mm, yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah, because you're having a memory 
about how magic Christmas was right. as a child. And then that's your, you've set your expectation for yourself as the like patriarch of the family, whatever, to fulfill on that magic mm. and feeling like a concern that you're yeah. going to fail at this epically. Yeah. 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 So I think like that's interesting because um, if it's not a, a moral you know, reckoning that goes on. It's like the awareness that those expectations those self-imposed expectations mm. can also be the creation of your midlife Christmas crisis mm. too. Do you think Clark and Ralphie share an Enneagram? Yeah. I think that, that they're this, twos. Oh, that this stems mm-hmm. from yeah. the helper. Yep. Oh, I think they're probably twos with pretty strong one wings mm. that like think that there's a right way to do this. Yep. yep. And like, yeah, absolutely. Okay. You know. Yeah, I think they definitely fit in their own bracket. I mean, are there as... are there any other enneagram types that are like I would like everybody at my house for Christmas? It's a very two thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I don't mind it at all. We haven't done it at that <laughs> level though. At which level? Like, could you like you have to think about? what went down in the Griswold house and then like apply it. To, can you imagine if <laughs> Jim and Ellen, <laughs> Valerie and Amy, <laughs> our children, yeah. um, siblings, cousins. I mean, Eddie was a cousin of one of them. I don't even know. He was who's a cousin, cousin of, uh, the wife. The, the, yeah. The wife, oh, Beverly D'Angelo. Ellen. Is it Ellen? Yeah. It's Ellen. Beverly, Beverly. I always want to call her Beverly. Or that's her real name. I know. Um, so that's a. It is. That's a level that I think mostly twos would sign up for. And I would sign up for. Wing. I, I do. Yes. I thought I had a nine wing. You have both. Everybody has two wings. I have two wings. Oh. You have one wing. How? Where are you going with that? I thought you were either like a. I thought you had one wing. That was the whole point. Where that like you went make, one wing or the that's other. That's not aerodynamic. Wait a minute. There's two wings. Everybody has two wings. You have a dominant wing, but you can lean to your two. So almost like that fucking key in Harry Potter, <laughs> just flying in circles. That's why you have two wings. Shut up. What? I thought you just had one. No. Oh my god. No. I, I don't know what to believe and I don't trust you right now. Okay, so we fine. can't keep talking about All right, this. Fine, fine, fine. I feel like everything you've told me about Enneagram up till now is a lie. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Okay. Anyway, that's a lot of people. How big is this house? Well, I mean, even if we had a house the size of the McAllisters, oh we that's still like the level of family invitation that <laughs> takes a two's amount of being helpful right. and hosting. Needs that much summoning. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. Now then, okay, so that's like the making Christmas magic bracket of this. And what about the like purely in need of redemption? That's like the Santa Claus family man. I can't even include family man. I don't think he need. I don't know. Anyway, we'll include him. Uh, Is George Bailey counting this? Yes. Does he need... What's his deal? It's the same thing. It's like this lack of gratitude. You know, this is why I love, and we're not talking about solstice right now because we're going to have a whole different episode on solstice. But when we think about the root of these holidays prior to, you know, them being taken over in this modern version that we celebrate now, 
all of these holidays marked moments in the year where it was like, we are here to pause and we're here to pause in gratefulness mm, and yeah. in gratitude for everything that has gotten us through these last <laughs> three months and we didn't die and we have food. Let's be grateful that we can get through the next three months. Yep. That's, what, that's how we're operating, you know, and particularly in the winter solstice, because it is like the sun stands still. It's the darkest day oh, of the yeah. year. So pausing in reverence and mindfulness for the gratitude that and the blessings that your life has been that has been bestowed in your household and in your community and there wasn't a whole lot of gratefulness and even when we think about things like you know George Bailey being like i wish that i wasn't alive or i'd never been born or whatever the whole deal is yeah. it's like a lack of awareness that just your presence here regardless of if you have achieved X, Y, and Z, or if you have A, B, and C, that is a gift mm. and a reason to be full of gratitude. And Yeah. I would say George Bailey is more in need of, like, the gratitude yeah. sort of than, like, uh, like, some sort of redemption, like being needing to be redeemed. Yeah. Because he's a pretty upstanding character through that movie. Yeah. I mean, he's like giving to, I mean, he's also probably a two. He's mm. like giving and generous to a fault where like he keeps having plans. He wants to travel and then something comes up with the family business. He's like, well, okay, I'll step in and do what I got to do. You know, like I'm, I'm about to go to the airport or like the dock and sail to Europe. It's like, oh, bank crisis. You know, it's like one thing after another. So like, yeah, if anything, I think that he's a six. Really? I think he's a loyalist. Oh, I think it's like, he has these dreams probably with a strong seven wing. So he has all these dreams of like adventure mm. and plan and, yeah. you know, and then it like gets defaulted back to like duty and yeah. then resentment mm. and then, you know, kind of, yeah. 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 It's been a while since I've seen that one, but yeah, it's, it's really long. It's really long. And it does do what I'm glad other movies that I like that have like the instance where the character is no longer in their own reality and they need to eventually accept they are in a different reality. I always go to Midnight in Paris because mm-hmm. um, it's very similar. George Bailey, I feel like when he meets Clarence, it's just he doesn't believe he's an angel for so long of their right. scenes in the end. It's like, can you just believe that you this is your thing and just go with it? You right, know, and that's why I love Midnight in Paris because it's like one scene with he and the and the Fitzgeralds, and he doesn't quite believe what's happening. Uh huh. And the scene is like three minutes. They leave the bar and they go to another one, and these characters or other characters are dancing. And he's just sitting there bopping along, and like that, the, the fifteen twenty seconds is he looks like he's like a mind insane, and his head's just bopping to the music. And then he's like, oh, I guess I'm just okay. I'm I am in it now. And it wasn't this really long drawn out like yeah. I don't believe where I am now. It's like, boom, we're in it. He believes it. We can move forward. Mm-hmm. But I think you know, it's a wonderful life it takes a little bit long to get there. Well, it was a different time. Yeah. Speaking of different time, do you remember when he's like, Show me Mary? Where's Mary, Clarence? <laughs> and it's like, George, you don't want to see Mary. It's like, what? What awful fate has happened to Mary? She's a spinster. She works in the library. 
she never married, George. Mary is literally living her best life. <laughs> it's a catastrophe in this film. She's an independent woman with her own job and place. She has a job. But no books. husband. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. Every time, it's hilarious. Isn't there an uh, angel cre- character? Creature. Angel character in Family Man 2? Yeah, it's Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle. He's like good at that character. He and something happens. Like he tests one other character. Like doesn't it's like he like fakes a hold up at a convenience store or whatever. Yep. Or like he's working at the convenience store and he like does this little test where like, here you go, I've given you all your change. And it's like accidentally a hundred dollar bill. And the dude just walks out and he tears in the cage. He's like, Missed an opportunity. Could have been good. But he just were selfish or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's really good. In that, um, why aren't there women that are dealing with the midlife crisis thing? Why is that particularly a dude thing? I mean, that's pretty deep, honey. Um, well, what the hell are we doing here? I mean, <laughs> I I think that we're that there are plenty of movies and books and scenarios where women are having their own particular flavor of crisis. Mm. Um. I think that a lot of pop culture represents that often as like the woman who's about to turn 30 and isn't yet married and all her friends are getting fucking married. Like that's a pretty common trope to go down in that like female crisis zone. Like lots of rom-coms around that kind of similar story. Yeah, the, the male crisis is usually they are... Married with families and jobs. Yep. yep. And the women, it's like, I don't have those things yet. Like, that's the crisis right, almost. Right. And I mean, I'm, and it's not exclusive. I'm just saying that, like, if we're looking for, like, a, a pretty common storyline, that one happens to be one. Mm. And then, like, throw it in the middle of June, in wedding season, in <laughs> Valentine's Day, mm. in some, everyone's getting engaged and they're not, like, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I think that there's something specific about Christmas. Like, I think that because of what Christmas represents mm. to people, like I said, the like nostalgia, the sentiment, the heart centeredness that is supposed to be at the core of Christmas, it enables audiences to like long to see that sweetness come mm. out of the masculine character. Mm. Yeah. Like we want that. We crave that from them. And when it happens, we're like, well, of course he's going to have feelings. It's Christmas. <laughs> feelings happen and on Christmas. That's the only top- appropriate time for a, a man to have feelings. He could cry. They don't have any sappy Memorial Day films, do they? Jesus Christ. <laughs> what? So, I don't know. I could probably think of one. What does a. Uh, so what does the female equivalent, feminine equivalent look like? What is the feminine Christmas movie, midlife crisis energy? Like, There's a lot of Hallmark movies, and they all involve like busy city woman, doesn't have time for no man, goes mm. to the country for some reason, meets up with someone from high school who's wearing a flannel. and. Well, I could say, what is a universal theme? Ooh. Between the Regardless of gender, identity, energies? expression, whatever. Like... A common theme, fascinating as it is, is that 
lots of money, lots of status, high power, city living, you know, fast life centered on the bottom line puts you in the Ebenezer Scrooge category. And as far as like being more materialistic, right? Not like being fucking evil, right? It's like materialistic, right, okay. you know, driven yeah. by material plane gains okay. of some sort. And, you know, because all of those, I mean, there's all the jokes now about the Hallmark Christmas movies oh, yeah. where it's like, who does she ultimately leave her big city lawyer fiance for? The, you know, easygoing, soft-spoken cow farmer from, you know. <laughs> cow farmer? From. Do they farm cows or with cows? Uh, anyway. Both. Uh, I've never seen any of these movies, mm. so I can't comment at all. Well, you did because we watched anyway. one with the two older girls. We watched. Oh it with yeah, yeah, yeah. We watched Emmy uh, Kalen. On uh, was that after things day after it Thanksgiving? was day after yeah we just got the tree yeah wasn't Lindsay Lohan yes in it? I was I took a nap I was in yep. and out big corporate ski resort. Basically putting the little ski resort out of business. The little ski resort. And she okay. is in gets engaged to a influencer on oh, yeah. Instagram. He's taking pictures of everything. He's very high tech, very plugged in. There's fashion shoots. Who does she I, fall for? I don't know. I fell asleep right after Act One <laughs> because I remember that he fell off the <laughs> ski slope or she did. Something, yes. Something and then because they were taking selfies. Yeah. Oh, don't you? Doesn't that just make you sick? How like the new like corporate business person is like an influencer? <laughs> I fucking hate just saying that. Well, I mean, her dad was like this big wig, you know, jet setting yeah. ski resort. Oh, yeah. You know, she was the born with a silver spoon in her mouth. Missed character, out. I fell right? asleep. I took a hard nap. So it's like it's that's basically what it is. And then like the family business, mm. whether it is the masculine protagonist or the feminine protagonist, one of them is gonna save the family business. Yeah. But with the and talent show. Someone is going to help them that is that in order to do that, they have to like, you know, get rid of this big city person and mm. attitude and energy that they have. Isn't that a big angle in Yellowstone? It's it cracks me up though because Christmas basically. is such a corporate like explosion now and it's so commercialized and it's so like all about the things and the stuff mm. right i mean we we herald black friday and all of these like yeah just more and more and excess and more and yet all of the themes of these movies that everybody watches during this time is like get rid of the big corporate you know, asshole, and get back to the roots of the simple folk in the mountains of Pennsylvania. I'm tell I'm just telling you what the movie lines, the movie plots are. So that's the. I mean, like that's yeah. the theme that will cross. You know, whoever. It, it's not necessarily a like internal hero's journey, epic midlife crisis point, like. The Christmas crisis of the typical mainstream Christmas movies that are out there. Yeah. You know, this is why I'm really excited about that new movie with Hopper. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because cause it's going to be like a new Christmas movie that maybe doesn't have that trope. No, it has an awesome premise. 
It does? Yeah, it's basically Die Hard, but instead of John McClane, it's Santa Claus. And Hopper is Santa, like actual Santa. Yeah. That's the only way you can make Die Hard better. I only have inappropriate comments to make about that, so I'm going to not. I'm going to not. Okay. And, but what I'm saying is that this movie isn't going to have the Christmas crisis. Midlife right. Christmas crisis. Yes, this does not look like a character, rede- unless Benjamin Bratt, the bad guy, like... Redeems himself. Redeems himself. I doubt it. Right. I have a feeling he's going to meet a horrible, grisly end. Ooh. And that would be amazing. From what I hear, this is like people, I've seen things about people who have watched this movie and they're like instant classic. Mm-hmm. Love it. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. We're, This is now in a rotation. We're watching this every year. Yeah. I can't wait. Well, and you know, what's interesting is uh, we could even combine the two Christmas or, you know, common crisis, the crisis tropes. Christ- and then- <laughs> the Christmas tropes? The cri- Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> in uh four christmases oh yeah oh okay because he had his little like you know we're not gonna do the family thing we're gonna yeah. you know be cool and go on vacation forever and we're not gonna get married and we're not gonna be serious and you know we're gonna avoid all of these things that just make people miserable and that's like his little temper tantrum in the middle mm. and her temper tantrum in the middle is I think I want to do those things. And I think yeah, like, like I actually do want to have a baby and my sister has a baby and blah, blah, blah. Like yeah. I forgot about they that. They both want, come in. They do. That's a good meshing of the mm-hmm. two. Wow. Yep. Well done. Four Christmases. That's a good movie. It's a it's probably one of the funnier scenes of a movie I've seen lately is John Favreau and his wife playing Taboo. In that scene, <laughs> it's worth watching that movie just for that scene. That scene is it really is, funny. It is. It is. I, what I want for Christmas is to reenact that scene and film it for our Instagram. We would have to write it ourselves, though. I think we should mm. come up with our own things. That would be okay. I'm down. <laughs> We're gonna have some time off soon. Yeah, sure. You sure we are? I've <laughs> I've heard that for years. I haven't seen it yet, so okay, I don't believe stop. you. Stop. I don't believe you. So. You got something else? Uh-uh. No? I don't think so. Because we're about to hit on the best examples of a sacred masculine that I can I can think of seeing in a film in a long time. <laughs> okay. Just saying. Name Easy. A be- name a better example. Can I you can't name one? off the top of my head. Exactly. That's, that's too much pressure. it may not exist. Anyway. Something I love doing. Going to see movies that are like re-released for like a weekend or a day, mm-hmm. like classic movie series. It's so cute. I love it. State Theater in Ithaca showed Die Hard last Saturday, and it reminded me why I love going to see movies that you've already seen with a bunch of people that have already seen the movie two dozen times and love it because they laugh at all the right spots. They even applaud at the right spots, which is fun. They cheer. They cheer. Yeah, totally. I I love that. I remember seeing Star Wars in 97 when they were doing the re-release in like the 25 or 30 years or 20 years. And I remember like when Han Solo first came on the screen in the cantina and people cheered and I thought that was stupid that people cheered and I don't know why I didn't like it, but now I fucking love it. So, yeah. 
that's that's all I have to say about that. But okay, Sacred Masculine and Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Are you are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, this is a bullet list. Feel free to chime in or even disagree, but you'll have a hard time doing that. All right. Why is John McClane an excellent example of the Sacred Masculine and Die Hard? Number one, he goes to L.A. to fix his marriage, beginning of the movie. Yep. He doesn't like go in response to the terrorists taking over the building. His intent to get on that plane and go was to save his marriage and his relationship with his estranged family. Yep. It's number one. Are you listening? I am. What are you doing? I'm. I just have my own notes. Oh, you have diehard notes? Yes. Do you? Oh, I'm. Ex- I'm excited. I didn't know you had diehard notes. <laughs> that was the. That was the coolest thing I've heard all day. Oh my god. So wait, do we have note? What do you want to chime in? I, don't I know will chime in okay. if it is necessary. <laughs> it's not gonna be. <laughs> I'm about to blow you away. Um. Okay. Now some of these I have to say that I stole from a TikTok that I saw. They this person gave five examples of how diehard kills. Oh, do you know the TikTok account? I can find it, yeah. Yeah, you'd find it. Um, why Die Hard or How Die Hard Kills Toxic Masculinity. Uh, mm-hmm. The guy is Toxically Correct is the account. And he, mm-hmm. he gave five things, which I saw before we went to go rewatch the movie. And I thought of a couple of things while we were watching. So this is this is his. So it's like he goes to fix his marriage. So that's that. Mm-hmm. Um. So another one that he mentioned is that this is the first one. Now, this is like maybe film history. I don't know how accurate this is. Mm-hmm. But you see the protagonist get like badly injured. Yes. Like, like he's in pain. Through the 80s with yeah. like Rambo, with like Stallone and Schwarzenegger. It's like, yeah, they would take their licks and their hits. Mm-hmm. I even thought about Predator because why not? Mm-hmm. And also John McTiernan directed Die Hard and Predator. And I thought of that. And yeah, Arnold gets like a laser blast in the arm, you know, he gets beat up by the Predator, but not to the extent that John McClane did. He gets like badly injured. Mm -hmm. And this is something you didn't really see in your action hero up till then. So I think that's interesting and cool. I think it shows a degree of vulnerability Mm -hmm. and I think he plays it off well. So like for the talk, for the man to be vulnerable, it's, it's what all sacred masculine is about or a lot of it. Yep. Do you have notes? No, no. You can't have notes of what I just said. I don't have notes about what you just said. Um, I would add in because we're at the part of the movie that is past the the introduction of this like side character. Okay. So there's this other going in the order of the movie. We Mm -hmm. may just bounce around because I have something actually that I made me think of before what I just talked about. Oh, okay. You're not going in order necessarily. Um, Not necessarily. So go ahead. Are you going thematically? Never. Ever. Okay. Um, so the other thing that makes John McClane a representation of the sacred masculine is the close relationships mm. that he establishes with other men mm. relatively quickly. Yeah. And that's a sacred masculine trait. There's no competition. So mm. it starts with Argyle. Yeah. He meets Argyle. Yeah. Argyle himself is like, you know, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna call them the three angels. You're already maybe gonna know who they are. You're gonna call them the three spirits. They're arguably three spirits, but nice. they're maybe angels. Okay. Um. So Argyle also is like immediately 
establishing mm. friendship with John McClane. And he's like, let me know how it goes with the wife. You need to figure this out. Like, and if it works, this is good. If it doesn't work, I got your back. I'll help you get a hotel room. Even before that, the like second thing Argyle says to him is like, I've never done this before. Right. Like, right. How, how often would you in your first role in a job uh-huh. say to your first client, I've never done this before. Yep. So, I'm like, brand new at this. Yeah. I mean, that's like what they say. You should tell, like, especially customer service. Mm-hmm. Like, you should say to them, "Hi, I'm sorry. I'm I just started. I'm new, mm-hmm. and hopefully that will incite some sort of patience." But and how often does it happen? It you know? doesn't happen. Yeah. It doesn't happen. And from that place of vulnerability, he starts to like crack the shell of John McClane. Mm. As soon as they're driving in the car together, yeah. he's asking him very personal questions. Yeah. Now, this is not a um, shadow aspect of masculinity or a uh, you know armored up masculinity this is vulnerable this is connecting Mm. he wants to know like why his wife moved out here (laughs) and he did it and like john's trying to deflect some of these questions like dude i just met you like you're moving a little fast (laughs) and he's like just answer the fucking question basically he he calls him out on a couple things he's like hey i'm a cop i got guys to put away back in new york and he's Uh like no really you didn't (laughs) think she would make it so she'd come crawling back he's like oh you're yep. pretty fast. Yeah. Yep. Yep. He's like, I know what's going on. <laughs> so he meets that like first potential, you know, I don't know you. You're from mm. LA. You're a limo driver that right. I didn't order. Right. Like I'm I could be annoyed and mm. put off and frustrated he by could this. Have very well easily sat in the back and like put the screen up. Right. Right. But he didn't do that. Right. I mean, and he could have been like demeaning in some way shape or form at yeah. this like service position yeah. and he was me like no i sent the front with you yeah. you know he didn't like deny the ride which would also have been an, a mm. demonstration of toxic masculinity right try to establish some yeah sort like, of oh, i don't power. need help right. blah, blah, blah. um so yeah mm. so he meets the first uh I don't know what. Um, the ghost. Sacred the, feminine. The spirit. Sacred masculine angel. The spirit of Christmas transportation. <laughs> the spirit of spirit of Christmas youth. Oh, okay. That's good. We're going to call Argyle the, the young masculine. I mean, okay. we could even maybe label him <laughs> as like the lover. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. We could label him as the lover because John McClane is going to be the warrior. He's going to be the warrior yes. through the whole movie. Right. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's good. All right. That's Throw right. back to whatever episode that was where we talked about masculine, masculine archetypes. archetypes. Yeah, that's good. Um, okay. Do you want me to go through my list or should we like try to go through the movie? Bam, you just keep All right. Going. We'll just keep bouncing around. Um, so like when he arrives at Nakatomi and like sees Holly... And the two are finally alone. Yeah. Right. Like he's washing up. She's in the room with him. She's trying to get him to stay at the house instead of driving for God knows how long to like stay with his old friend. He pick, basically picks a fight. Like, cause he realizes that she's gone by her maiden name. Yep. And you know, he, you know, let's, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He's mm-hmm. been traveling. He's Maybe been traveling. He's tired. He hadn't made and toe fists yet. No, he, uh, you're right. He had not made toe fists. So he picks a fight, and like they have a fight about this. It lasts for two minutes, yep. maybe. She has and to she go. She has to go give a speech to the other employees, and mm-hmm. immediately he just like in his by himself in the mirror, 
he like admits wrongdoing. He's like, great, awesome, real mature. This is good call. <laughs> good job, John. So like he acknowledges the, the wrongdoing. There's like, some reflection. There's some reflection, yep. right? So that's, you know, don't know how many, how much we see of that. But and yeah. he was triggered. Yes. He was triggered because he was just in the presence of the second angel slash Christmas spirit, whatever oh. you want to call him, the king. Uh, Who's the king archetype? Man. Joseph Takagi? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Arguably, we could say that the king stole his Ooh. wife Ooh, wow. yeah. from him. Good. Right. It's a very, you know, yeah. like... He doesn't... Tristan and Isolde kind of... Uh, um, whatever. <laughs> so... John immediately is on the defensive the moment that he comes in the room, even though mm. in true sacred masculine, um, Joseph yes, uh, is like, I'm the one that sent the limo for you. Yeah. You know? Right. Even though we could probably go to the place of like John's feeling like you're trying to, like you took my wife to LA. Right. And it she could be followed like, you. He could, he could have also uh, interpreted that as like, you know, establishing uh dominance over like uh, look at all this wealth that i have and i'm right. in charge i my status clearly exceeds yours new york cop right so like i sent a car yes come to my also like here's this awesome party oh yeah, yeah. your wife here, works here and she's got an amazing job yeah so, oh the this is a pretty impressive building yeah. he's like well you know we have ever- seven more floors to finish <laughs> like um yeah just a tremendous amount of resources and this kingdom that he flashes in front of this warrior and so the warrior goes into shadow aspect Mm. and gets defensive we also say that we don't have time to really discuss like from a filmmaking and movie perspective like when you say like yeah it'll be great if we get it finished all these fours are still under construction like there's so much like the script is so fucking tight like there's not a wasted line like everything is either set up for a payoff Mm -hmm. or it's in purpose of Developing character, moving the story, or giving you information that you will need to know and they have established. Who wrote this script? I don't know. I wow. should find out. Yeah, I know. What but, if this was a trivia question? Um, I wouldn't know the answer. And yeah. because I'm an enlightened male, I can <laughs> fucking admit that. You'd be like, I don't know this. Yeah. And it's okay. This wouldn't be the first time I didn't know something. It's true. Um, yeah. So that's really interesting about like the king. I did yep. I did not view this through those archetypes. I was thinking of it. I don't even know what I was thinking about. I was just like John McClane's awesome. Yeah, but once archetypes infuse your brain, you mm. can't watch anything or read anything without. Yeah. So m- most of the time, I go to Enneagram with the ones right. I do know. Yep. I should be looking at more archetypes. Yep. Totally right. Um, okay, so like once the movie kicks off, right? Yep. And. The first terrorist that he encounters is the brother of like the mate of like Hans's Hans Gruber's lieutenant, basically his second in command. Yep. That dude's brother. Um I forget the dude. It's Carl is the dude with the long blonde hair. I don't know what the other guy's name is. When he first has that fight, like they he quips a little bit at the beginning of the fight. But after the fight, when he dies by breaking his neck, like John doesn't celebrate the violence he just went through and committed basically he doesn't like beat his chest or like say how awesome he is because he just wasted a guy mm-hmm. it's like he's clearly like kind of shook up because of what just happened and he's like trying to get his bearings trying to catch his breath and it's not like a very actiony like 
think of Predator and like the scene where those dudes go into that camp and just start wasting everybody. Mm-hmm. It's total action movie. <laughs> like they're wasting everyone. But like this right. is a little more grounded, I guess, quote unquote, where like he's he's not that kind of hero where like he doesn't go in expecting to have to do this. And he is not is kind of like he'd rather not, but he has to. And he's put in that position. But like he doesn't celebrate the in that case. I'm like, I thought that was cool. I thought it was a, a good take on the the character where he's like not looking for a fight to have for a fight's sake kind of thing. Yeah. What Enneagram do you think that John McClane is? I don't know. I mean, my theory on one of the reasons that you love this movie so much. Oh, my God. Is because John McClane and Hans Gruber are both ones. Ooh. Okay. So, like, when we mm. are drawn to movies and pop culture, if we look at the archetype and we look at the Enneagram type of the main characters or like the people who are on screen the most, Mm. it's highly likely that you're going to see a mirror or you're going to resonate with that character because Mm. you're going to feel deeper about that hero's journey than you would if you didn't have an affinity with that type. Yeah. Like I I feel like I'm, I could connect more to John McClane than Dutch from Terminator. Like, I feel like those guys are caricatures. Right. right. Not actual characters. Yep. Where in this case, he's a, he's a more fleshed out human. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Both are awesome movies, though. <laughs> All right. Um, another point that the guy in the TikTok I saw brought up, it, exp- it shows clear male vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It kind of goes into, like, the physical vulnerability of being injured as yeah. he is. Um well, I also wanted to say, too, that even the bad guys have that, like, Carl's whole energy was about, like, this grief and loss around his brother. And even though he expressed it in, like, a vengeance type of a way, like, it was very clear that he was in pain and right. that he couldn't believe that his brother mm-hmm. had been killed. Like that was yeah. not part of the plan, and it, uh, and it, you know, from a filmmaking story, whatever, it works because while you have two people on the same side, they have different motivations about mm-hmm. what to do and how to do it. Yep. So that makes it again more interesting to watch the play on not only Hans and John, but Carl and Hans as well. Yep. Um, yeah. So male vulnerability, physical, because he gets his ass kicked throughout the movie. Um. But emotional, because he, once he's on the radio with Al, the cop, they're, you know, fairly honest and open with uh, expressing emotions, fears, concerns, mm-hmm. and neither have been, like, calls and, like, make fun of them for that. Like, especially the whole, especially John's monologue when, like, before the end of Act 2, when, like, he's, he's run into Hans, mm-hmm. and he's, like, cut up his foot real bad. So, like, he knows that, like, the end is kind of coming. He saw that the building, the roof is wired with explosives. Or, you know, he, like, he saw something was going on. Or, like, why was Hans on the roof? Like, yep. it makes no sense. Like, why was the head bad guy? Something's going down. Not sure why he was there. So, he's like, I, before that, he, like, tells out to tell his wife through this monologue mm-hmm. about, like, all the things he wished he could say to her. Things he probably wished he could have said to her in the beginning in the bathroom. But he was too stubborn or... To, to, to do it then. So he's like yeah. emotionally exposing himself, you know, 
tell her I said all this. I'm sorry. I'm an asshole. I love her so much. Yeah. And it's like not a, uh, it's not a point of humor. Right. You know. And now we're on the topic of the third Christmas ghost. Oh, third, the spirit of Christmas badassery. The spirit of Christmas magician. <laughs> He's the teacher mm. archetype. He is like the peer. Oh, yeah. Um, he works to keep the warrior present, grounded, and they get so vulnerable with each other. Like when we first meet him, what is the cop's character's name? Uh, Al Powell. Al. Um, yeah, because for the longest time, I mean, nobody probably knows this listening to our podcast, but I'm totally deaf in my left ear, so I don't hear things correctly often. And for the longest time watching Die Hard, I thought that the chief guy, I don't know, he's the principal in the Breakfast Club, something or other. whatever his name is, Dwayne, um, Dwayne, the, the principal from the Breakfast Club, says to the dad from Family Matters, yeah. um, <laughs> He keeps saying Powell uh-huh. because he's just calling him by his last <laughs> he's name. He's calling him Pal. I thought he was saying Pal. I'm like, listen here, Pal, <laughs> because he just sounds like that. Sounds like something that the principal from the Breakfast Club. I would mean, say it too. does. It, it kind of works with who that guy is in his character. Like he, like, come on, Pal. Like, listen being here, Pal. Sarcastic and yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, like the moment that we see Al on screen, he is at a gas station and he's buying things for his pregnant wife. Yeah. Well, the Twinkies, I mean, he says they're for the wife, but they're probably for him too. I mean, I'm sure they're going to share the Twinkies. Yeah. It was going to be mutual Mutual Twinkie victory. (laughs) What did you just say? (laughs) So so, like immediately we see like Al's very sweet, sensitive side. He, that's his response to, the gas station attending right. kind of making fun of him right. because he's a cop buying a pastry um, and, and he doesn't have like something assholey or snarky to say yeah. back and you know it it's just like their instant connection and rapport and when he gets called out by the chief of the police um and he's like, how do you know anything about this guy? Like, you don't know anything about him. He's like, I have a feeling. He has a hunch. He has a hunch. He has a hunch. He's talking about his intuition. Yeah. As the magician. And the way that he, you know, just shares with John so vulnerably and honestly about why he isn't like out on the beat anymore right, yeah. and how he shot a kid yeah. and he doesn't think he could ever pull his gun again. Like this is when I leaned over next to you and said, this is a setup. <laughs> and, it will be a payoff. And um, it just, he's just really, really lovely. And the way that they communicate is really lovely. Yeah. And well, I mean, to say, to kind of build off what you were saying about after he tells the story about shooting a kid, when he does pull his gun at the end to like kill Sneaky Carl and mm-hmm. like the, the last kind of like holy holy shit moment, um, again like he doesn't celebrate the fact that he had to do that. Right. Like he's not like yeah kicking ass. Like he right. actually, I mean, I look at him. I'm like it looks like he's tearing up. Yep. 
Like he oh, looked like sure. it was so he took triggering. that moment like very seriously as something that he had to do, not something he wanted to do. So again, we're like the violence isn't necessarily I mean, there are moments where it's like something awesome happened and a quip happens, like, you know, when he throws the body out the window, he's like, Welcome to the party, pal, and other shit like that. But there are some times where it's like this isn't the time to right. make a joke. Right. Like, we don't need to Thor for this thing. Not everything needs to be so hilarious. Yeah. Um But I also felt that like fit with his character where he would not have been like yeah i'm back motherfucker you know or some shit like that he took it very seriously and it felt real um the last point i mean for all of the hit a couple of times that they say yippee kaye motherfucker in that movie (laughs) you say it twice there isn't a whole lot of yippee kaye motherfucker moments after somebody actually dies right you know yeah like yeah it's like oh this Which, is rough like helps us take what's going on seriously for lack of like these yeah. threats are real we care about what's happening like if it was all just a big joke we we would be like is anyone actually really in danger you know i thought that when hans executes takagi mm-hmm. we're like it's sad because i thought of star wars mm. like i thought of the sequel trilogy where like they didn't have a moment like that. Like you didn't really need, I mean, they sort of did, but it didn't pay off as well. Yeah. Um, we're like, once Han shoots him, it's like, Oh shit. Like this is serious. These guys are for real. We got to take the bad guy seriously and should be scared of him. Now, while Kylo Ren does slice Max von Sydow, like he also sort of interrogates Poe and mm-hmm. Poe like openly makes fun of him. Yep. With no consequence. None. So that's why it's like, are we, or am I going to be scared? Like, this is your villain for a trilogy. Like, yeah. I'm not really scared of this child kind of thing. Well, you know, I it's mean, like, he's definitely a child, too. Right? Yeah, and it's, you know, I still watch the movies. I enjoy them to, to a degree. I'm not, like, going to shit on them. But, like, re-watching, it's, like, one of those things. You go watch a movie like Die Hard that's a classic for a reason. And you watch another movie more recent. It's like, I, I wish the bad guy that was going to be the bad guy for three movies was a little more scary. Intimidating. Yeah. Uh yeah, like unpredictable. Right. Like he was so anyway, this is not a Star Wars conversation. We're not having Right, okay. Yeah. Um now the examples in the movie of typical masculine bravado, toxic male, what happens to them? I can think of three particularly I thought I thought of four. Um, Ellis, who was like the quintessential eighties businessman flashing his machismo about you know how much he's hey he negotiates million dollar deals for breakfast babe he can handle this and it's like what happens to him he he dies because of his bravado his like toxic you know man needing to be either impressive in charge or trying to you know get you in over your head something you can't control but also the two fbi guys like they're all about kicking ass like get some choppers up there be kicking ass what happens to them he's like this is like Saigon, am I right? And the guy's like, I was in fourth grade. <laughs> I was in junior high. I was in junior high or whatever. Um, but oh like, God. yeah, even the two FBI guys who were like, feds are here. He's like, I'm in charge. Like, not anymore. Yeah. Yeah. The typical, that kind of masculinity. What and happens to them? Dead ski. Yeah. Dead ski. Blown they up. They get blown up. Yeah. I mean, the only one who is so overtly obnoxious and toxic that doesn't 
get the comeuppance is Deputy Chief Dwayne. Yeah. Yeah. See that. Deputy Chief Dipshit. Well, he kind of have Well, we can uh maybe feel comforted in that he's going to probably get a demotion. Right. As he himself said several times, the mayor will have his ass. Mayor's going to have my ass. <laughs> Not in a fun way. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. God. Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah, there you go. In conclusion, John McClane is peak sacred masculine. Peak sacred masculine with the support of the three. other three main masculine archetypes. Yeah. In their light aspects and their yeah and their mature aspects and not to make this uh, a dude centric podcast episode <laughs> but we'll we'll shout out some ho- some credit to holly Gennaro mclean yes we're like not being a damsel in distress ah i have a i have a you have an archetype to throw my way i have something to share about holly Gennaro. oh go for it she's a sacred masculine too she is Yes. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, her her energy, her not. I mean, she's first of all, she's a three, hands down. She's a three. Like Holly couldn't have made any other decision than to move to L.A. and mm. take that job to support her family and her career. Like right. yep. there was not another option. Yeah. There was not in any way. And I think that, like, what was probably happening in their relationship is too much masculinity. Mm. And so she was, she had so much sacred masculine, and he likely in New York had too much toxic masculinity. Mm. And he needed to temper that with more feminine energy so that they could work together. Mm. And he did. He balanced his feminine energy, she balanced her masculine and feminine energy although i don't, i wouldn't i didn't see any incident where holly was out of balance because she was right. able to step into that role she was you know second in charge of this fortune 500 like multinational right. she takes it upon herself to go like she is asked to be brought to hans to say i have requests this right. is like what we need to do yeah yeah and um and yet right out of the bat in that first scene like you can see her just like melt at the sight of him. She's like, I would love it. You know, I would love it if you would stay at the house. Mm -hmm. You know, she puts that out there. She doesn't have any problem. She's not trying to hold this line of like being in control of the situation. Mm -hmm. So she is pretty balanced in her, in her masculine and feminine and her sacred masculine is what allows her to lead in the way that she does and was the reason that Joseph Takai Takagi Takaki Takaki Takagi Takagi with a G. I think so. Okay. I've never read it. Um, was like, let me tell you all the wonderful things about your wife, mm. <laughs> <laughs> which you know husbands often love hearing from other men, um, <laughs> particularly the king. <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, and she had this beautiful balance of both and he was trying to meet her masculine with more masculine and it wasn't until he met her masculine with his 
feminine yeah. and his like softening and his just like after you wasted a bunch of bad guys you know i would do anything for you mm. yeah. and you know he says to the when he introduces her to al oh yeah he calls her Holly by her Gennaro. her maiden right. name yeah and she corrects him yeah and so that's where that energy balance that polarity wow was readjusted wow bringing it home with polarity <laughs> love it what other action hero can we watch to gauge whether they are sacred masculine or not oh god oh this is going to be a okay multi multi-part this is gonna be a doctoral thesis level it sounds like homework it's gonna be awesome we're gonna skip the lethal weapons because we can assume that Mel Gibson is not the sacred masculine in those movies. Or ever, most of the time. <laughs> Touche. Okay. <laughs> right. Something with Daniel Day-Lewis. Ugh, he's so much. He's so extra. What? He's so extra sometimes. I feel like he's wonderful. He's great. I love watching Lincoln. But also there's a part of me that's just like, can you just tone it down? Even I... Like, what are the fucking people in the crew? Let's analyze the movie Face Off for Archetypes and Sacred Masculine. Oh, my God. Yes. That Let's... movie is probably in my top ten. What? It is. I love that movie so much. I just learned something new about you. Oh, my God. Wow. I think we've talked about this We before. have not. Oh, my God. <laughs> we have. We're going to watch Face Off. <laughs> right now? Uh, maybe not, not starting now. a movie it's at 8 after 8 o'clock. There's no way There's we're no starting way. a movie. <laughs> definitely not happening. Well, this is Mutual Victor, friends. This is Matt. This is Jeannie. Thanks, everyone.